2: Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's Most Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. It's Wheeler Dealer Radio. We are here today to talk about the first place Tottenham Hotspur football club. It is an exciting day. We we are here after a 2-0 victory against Manchester City. And I I can't think of anyone who is more geeked, more zooted for this game than our first first, uh, panelist. It is Brian Ashlock. Brian, just where were you on the super excited just scale of wheel of deal radio for for this one?
0: I mean, I was beyond geeked and zooted i had I had transcended to another plane of geeked and zootedness, perhaps like ultra geeked or uber zooted or something of that nature um but yeah, like just <laughs> really, really happy to be in first place, even if it's only on gold differential right now and coming up we have. The
2: sober analysis that we need from our second co-host. It's Ben Daniels. Ben, can you explain to us how we shouldn't get too excited about this game? I, I would never do that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, some people want to look at this
1: game and say, "Oh, we'll look at look at the actual expected goals and uh, see how City had thirty nine thousand shots and we weren't actually that good." But yeah, we 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 wrecked them. We we did a job and and and. We did it effectively, and that's all I care about today. Well, I when we lose that... to Chelsea, I will <laughs> retroactively be very upset about this Man City for- performance and tell you all about how the writing was on the wall for that Chelsea loss. But now, no, now we're great.
2: The the pendulum is a fickle mistress. She surely is.
0: And what's most important is that once again, Jose Mourinho has gotten one over on the bald fraud that is Pep Guardiola. <laughs> Um, you know, this is two in a row where City's, I don't know, outshot, outplayed, and and we still won. So, but I you know, I don't
1: think it. I think this time. is
0: a wildly Isn't it two
1: in a row. It feels like like the last like a nine games yeah. we played against City. First of all, it's getting.
2: Just... I think going back to the Champions League quarterfinal or quarterfinals, it's becoming a bit hilarious how City have like fifty nine million shots on goal. We have ten, and we've somehow beat them. In a healthy amount of those fixtures. <laughs> Certainly the most <laughs> important ones. I think, though, it's worth looking at this. Because if you go back to the game that we played in, I think, earlier in Mourinho's tenure against City, where Bergvine scored that goal in his debut, it, that to me felt like a real sort of, that was a robbery. That was a game where we legitimately got outplayed and we somehow, you know, had a decent defensive performance. They had a red card and we just got away with one. Despite what you might see looking at expected goals, I really think we did outplay City in this game. Because I think, you know, you look at what Spurs did, and we talked sometimes, we had this conversation back in the Southampton game where it was like, okay, well, did it get lucky? Was it a play? And I don't think you can look at what Spurs did on Sunday Or Saturday. We actually played a game on a Saturday. It's been so long. But I don't think you could look at what we did on Saturday and not say that this wasn't a very well-executed, calculated strategy that worked to a T. I mean, every time we broke on the counter, we just looked so dangerous. The movements were so precise. And it wasn't just like Kane and Son. It was even Bergvine, a guy who has not looked good this year, a guy who has not been in the team much this year. I mean... I thought he played, you know, there's room for improvement, obviously, but he played his part to perfection, And but for some very good defending from Kyle Walker, he might have had a goal or two. I just thought we executed a play very well, and I was incredibly impressed by how good we looked on the counter. I mean, those moves were just incredibly fluid. Everyone was firing all cylinders, and they all seemed to be in sync. I was very impressed.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, we had that one chance in particular that got rolled off for Kane being offside. That had Kane held his run slightly or had Son just pulled the trigger and not felt the need to, you know, pull that, like, FIFA goal where you walk it in. Um, we're up 2-0 early, and we we lose a lot of the narrative around kind of the story of, like, how this game went and how many shots we faced and, and how dicey it was. Um, but we didn't. And, you know, it took us a long time to get that second goal. And in between goal one and goal two, City did have a lot of the ball in a lot of dangerous areas. And so I think there's been a lot, of, uh, a lot of folks out there who are trying to kind of take away from what, what this performance means and, and how good it actually was. Um, and, yes, you can look at the numbers. You can look at the number of shots City had and, you know, how, how good the chances that they put together um, you know, particularly from two set-piece chances that were you know, very, very fortunate, I think, to have been kept out. But, you know, I think it is tempting to look at that and say, you know, we rode our luck and got away with something. But I, I kind of agree with you, Greg. I think we set out to play a defensive counterattacking style of football against Pep's Man City, and we executed it, you know, maybe with a little luck along the way, but... We executed exactly what we set out to do. And we walked away, I think, in the end, comfortable with victors.
2: And I, I think, and Brian, I want to hear your thoughts on this in a second, but I just want to emphasize, I think what impressed me so much wasn't that we were disciplined or we executed at the right time, but when we sprung those counterattacks, everybody was, like, precise. They were on point. The moves were excellent. I mean, it was, uh, it's it's the kind of thing that you sort of, I've been wanting to see a little about Mourinho spurs, which is, not just a plan but a plan that's executed well and we did that i mean just the the level of play i thought was really impressive from um all of tottenham's players especially on the counter
0: well yeah and especially to have that good of a game plan and that that well drilled of a plan coming off of the international break where a lot of these guys were away with their international teams they probably had a day or two of training before this match to to get in the game plan and to to do you know the drilling and everything that's necessary to get ready for Manchester City and Pep Guardiola to get all that in that quickly is you know impressive and i know that you know our best performances this year have come when we play on the counter and Jose it's very good at setting up a counter-attacking team. So we probably laid a bunch of the groundwork for this early on in the year. But like you said, Greg, like the, everything was just so well drilled. It really did look like, you know, a basketball team running a fast break where, you know, everybody knew like, this is the lane that has to be filled. This is the, this is the run across the, the face of the central defender that needs to be made. You know, someone needs to fill this space. Someone needs to fill that space. And, and, whether it was the attacking three or whether it was, you know, Loselso or Ndombele or the fullbacks, like everybody just played their part. And it just, I don't know. Like we we give Jose a bunch of crap about being, you know, defensive and, you know, counterattacking or whatever. But when we play counterattacking football kind of like that, I, I don't mind watching those games. Like the, the, that kind of football is still kind of exciting. Um, you know, I, I, I don't, like all the dangerous opportunities the city had, but, but by the same token, like we had some good chances and we had some good moves and, you know, I I thought this game was a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, in terms of
1: excitement, like it's one thing to watch us, you know, counter against a city team who is going to play ball with us and, you know, put a lot of guys forward and commit to an attack and then give us the opportunity to counter attack versus playing the exact same system against a Burnley where we're doing the exact same thing and they're like, no, you have the ball. We're like, no, you have the ball. And it's not fun for anybody. But, I mean, it's still been effective. Um, I don't know. I think in terms of the precision is, I think, where I would quibble a little bit. Like, ultimately, we still only took four shots in the game. I think and that's a
2: deceptive... I think that's not, a
1: de- I, go ahead, deceptive go ahead. in terms of, like, the quality that we played. But I think it does mean that for the number of exciting breaks we had, and as fluid as we looked, you know, transitioning into attack, we weren't able to translate them into a ton of chances. And the fact that we scored two of our four chances is great, but that I think is like the next step for this team, is being a little crisper. You know, it's like, you know, where Man City took 20 shots and... Maybe we we're a little unlucky, like you know, finding the frame or, or hitting that final shot past Hugo Larice. We were in a similar boat where you know we were moving very well down the pitch, and then that last ball let us down. And um, we couldn't quite pull the trigger on a shot because they got back and like made a last ditch tackle. Like I think that's kind of like I think on balance the the margins we both kind of missed on capitalizing on our opportunities were similar, but. For me, what I'd like to see more going forward is that same kind of performance turning into, you know, ten to fifteen shots, not four shots. You know, uh, and that—that's what I would say is, is yeah, the and things uh, have done a little better, it's I, a little sharper.
2: I think that f- number of four shots is deceptive, and I think you're right. We could we could create more chances, but I think it's worth pointing out that the I thought the best performance the city had in that match was their defensive line, who I thought actually did a fairly respectable job keeping Spurs from not getting more shots off from not I mean the most obvious one and if you go back and watch it it's really impressive was the sort of keeping Bergvine from getting when they they, they squared it to Bergvine in the middle of the pitch and I I can't remember which defender it was but he just sort of puts himself between Steve and the shot and he can't get it off and there were I, there were a couple things like that where it was just this really dangerous move, and City just got in the way, and they they were able to sort of snuff stuff out before it became a shot. And I, I agree with you that we need to create some more chances, but I also think City did a fairly respectable job defending, despite the scoreline and d- despite how dangerous we were. Uh, I don't think their keeper helped them very much, but it was it was a really good performance, and it's certainly something to build on. Like you said, I think I think against the big teams, there's there's maybe like six ish eight-ish teams in the league that are going to really attack us like this or that we that are probably going to really attack us like this and we need to figure out a way to sort of impose our will on the Burnleys or you know Southamptons or whoever but I don't know this was really hard I mean it's just when when Aurier's having a good game when Regulon's running out there like a you know dog chasing a car I mean it's you know it's a fucking hard team to beat
1: Yeah, I think the defensive performance is is really something that I think deserves a lot of credit, despite the fact that we conceded, you know, 20 shots from Man City. Um, Serge Aurier, who has always been a valuable attacker and always been a complete wild card in defense, um, didn't do the thing that he often does, which is defend decently and then give away a stupid penalty. He was locked down defense pretty much all game. And Regulon, who is also much more of an attack first kind of fullback, um, you know, got a, an Iberico Hamon today from Jose Mourinho <laughs> as a reward for not letting Mares dribble past him a single time this match. You know, like, I, everybody really showed out for that game.
2: Regulon, I want to talk about Regulon for a second, because he, God, he's, he's fun to watch. I, I mean... I'm not sure Walker and Rose were that much fun to watch in their prime because he is just all over the pitch. And part of it is he really is like scrambling around like a madman. and He's like losing the ball and running back to get it. And I mean, just chasing everyone down. It's he is boy, he's going to be real good in a couple of years. He is he is very he is a very dangerous player. And you know, I, I don't know. Like, are they are they bringing hams in the locker rooms in Madrid? I don't think so. Like, you know, Zidane wouldn't do that. You got to stay at Tottenham for that, buddy.
0: Yeah, and I mean, you know, look, I think the, the thing, the only problem I have with Reggie, uh, Reggie Lone. <laughs> We're Americans, you I don't have to make the effort. Uh, the, the, the only quibble I have with him is he did give the ball away yeah. a couple times that led to dangerous chances. Now, one time he gave the ball away and it led to our second goal. <laughs> um, but, you know, he he does have that. A little issue with ball security and i would like him to play a little safer sometimes as opposed to you know taking the eric lamella route of dribbling right out of player and seeing what will happen um you know but for the defensive part of the game absolutely he kept mares quiet he's not necessarily a liability you know when he's tracking back when he's defending he's good on the ball defending uh, but yeah, like I, I just wanted to be a little more secure with the ball, you know, when we're in possession, because if Kevin De Bruyne is on his game a little bit more, or Raheem Sterling is on his game a little bit more, we do get punished on some of those giveaways.
2: This is not related to anything that happened this match, but do you guys remember in like, I think it was in the first game against City last year, the one with Pochettino that we, that we totally stole draw from that, like, De Bruyne scored that goal and did this, like, elaborate, this is our house celebration, and then they conceded, like, a minute and a half later, and I think they've taken one point off of us since that match. That was fun. Yeah,
0: yes, thank you. Fun.
2: Chris
1: Farley interviewing Paul McCartney yeah. on yeah. SNL 20 years ago. Yeah, I don't
2: know. De Bruyne <laughs> is, I know De Bruyne is, like, Ben, you and I have talked about this. He might be one of, like, the best players in the world. He's probably the, maybe the best player in the world, but, like, outside of Messi, but There is an element of, like, I can't help but view him through his performances against Spurs, where he always seems to come up second best. And I just think of him as a lightweight because of how he plays against us. Like, games like this, where he's obviously excellent. He is obviously an excellent player and one of the best players in the world, but he somehow never gets it done against us, which is fine and great, and I hope he keeps it up.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess I would say, I think KDB was probably the best player on the pitch for City, and yet... right. He didn't have like that transcendent moment like like Sun did. Um you know, like Indombolet did. You know, like he didn't didn't do it. And uh yeah.
2: Go fuck yourself, how, Kevin. <laughs> how good is that ball from Indombolet to Sun? It like, was can we talk about I want to talk about that move actually. Let's talk about this goal because I think it was that move is actually sort of endemic of what was happening in this game, which is Spurs came in really well drilled and prepared, and City, I don't think did because th- that like sort of quick free kick thing that we did from a non sort of threatening position, we've done that to a couple. Not, not precisely the way it worked out in this game, but City got caught with their pants down on that move, and I think it's you know there's a lot there was a, there were a lot of things going on on that move, but they were clearly not prepared for. Spurs to play the ball that quickly, and I, you know, you'd think for a team coached by the best coach in the world, that wouldn't be the problem. And yet, well, and a
0: team and a team that does that to other teams, like you know, Pep Guardiola teams, you know, from going back to Barcelona, have done you know quick free kicks to take advantage of teams, you know, trying to get back or not set up, and 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 they've been very successful with it. And so for you know this version of the Pep Guardiola team to you know, be more interested in you know remonstrating with the official than you know paying attention and making sure they know where everybody is. Off a quick restart, is it's funny. It's like, and I mean, you know, it's a great execution by Spurs, and I'm sure it's something that they they identified in the build up to the game as this is you know quick restarts or a way that we can take advantage. But you know, to actually get out there on the pitch and execute it, and and Don to play that perfectly weighted lofted ball to Sun. Well, it's there.
2: And Dombele plays that ball. That Kane's smart enough to come forward and drag those defenders off. It's just everything about that move is just so amazing and perfect and incredible to watch.
0: Yeah, that Kane run is, I think, probably a little underappreciated. But you're absolutely right. He he steps forward, you know, five ten yards, and two defenders come with him. And Sun just steps into the space and Dombalay plays the ball over the top and uh, I mean and you know, and the way Sun's playing right now, there's no way he's gonna miss. But I think honestly Sun
1: doesn't get enough credit because he's playing so well. Like that's a very difficult finish yep. from not super close, with a keeper in his face, you know, well, no, but that's what made that the finish tight angle. Like that's what
2: made the finish. But, if 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 he's sitting on his line, <laughs> that's not a t- that, that ball doesn't get anywhere close to the back of the net.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, you know, Kel hit it differently. But, like, for yeah. him to, like, thread that in, like, past the keeper into that near post, like, that wasn't an easy chance. Like, it was a high-quality chance given, like, the state of play around him. But, like, it still took some work. And Sun is just on such fucking fire right now that, you're right, anybody watching it was just like, yeah, that's a goal. You know, like, you were celebrating as soon as that passed hit his foot, Yeah. you know, even though he still had a lot of work to do.
2: It was, it, it was, the best way I can describe it is it's like, it felt like watching the finish of a good wrestling match. You know, everything that's about to happen, but it's still super satisfying. It was, it was incredible. It was such a good goal. It was, uh, I, I fucking love watching. I, I, that's probably the most fun I've had watching this team in forever. Maybe, maybe the United game rivals it, but I mean, th- this was such a fun game to
0: watch out of this Tottenham team. I think the United game was was fun in a different way because that that was a performance where we were just, you know, better all across the pitch. This was just a performance where, you know, you had two teams that were playing at about the same level and we were just doing better. that makes sense?
2: I want to talk about... I think this is a good opportunity to talk about Ndombele because he is not, you know... Whatever It looks like they've squashed whatever beef they've had. He's a regular member of the team, and he's just doing shit like this every week. I, it's uh, Ben, what makes Ndombele so good in this team? I, I mean, we've all talked about what we liked about him at Leon, but in the way he's playing this year at Spurs, what makes Ndombele such a good player?
1: I mean, I think it's two things. First is that he is the most press-resistant motherfucker I have ever seen, and that includes Moussa Dembele, who was the most press resistant motherfucker I'd ever seen until now. Like, he just you just don't take the ball off of him. Like you can play him a pass out of the back under any number of of guys on his back and he will find a way to make something happen from it. Like he might turn the ball over with like a loose pass or whatever, but he's you're not like picking his pocket. Like it just doesn't really happen. He it feels like a cheat code playing a video game. It's just he can no matter who is on him in midfield he is going to take that ball and turn that into more advantageous possession and then the second thing is is once he does break that press he does things that are just ridiculous like defies the laws of physics ridiculous you know he will find passes and angles and and play balls that you know su- surprise you the viewer you know i think there's a lot of times you're watching a game where you can see like a really good pass and like kind of hope to see that pass get made. Like and Kane's pass him.
2: to Loselso for the goal.
1: Right. It's like you're like you're like oh come on I hope you see that run. It's a super good run. Like that's the pass and he makes it. And you're like yes. And Domblay does shit that you're like oh my god. Wait, what? Who? I didn't even know he was on the screen. Let alone a viable passing option in behind the defense. You know, like that's the shit that Andomblay does. That is that is incredible. Is he just makes shit happen that you were just never expecting. And those two powers combined makes him the most fun player to watch, I think, in the world.
2: And, and I think that passing ability really suits, I mean, this might sound dumb and obvious, but I think you combine that with a player like Son, who's so good at making those runs, especially getting behind the defense, I, I think Son has just benefited so much from having Ndombele become a
0: functional part of this team. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, you know, the passing ability is, is exactly what this team needs. It's the exact type of passing that Jose Mourinho wants from his team. Like, he plays some really accurate long balls. Um, you know, if he's not doing, like, really super intricate stuff around the edge of the box. Like, He's playing these, you know, long through balls, these lofted through balls. And, and, and like you said, Greg, you know, he, he's got players like Sun, like Bergvine, who are willing runners and who are making intelligent moves to get on the end of these passes. And he, it, it's absolutely perfect for what this team is right now and, and what we need to do to be successful in the league this year.
1: And I think he also just he suits that counterattack so well because it's not just that he makes the pass, but he makes it so quickly without really thinking. It's like I, I feel like Erickson was a guy who sometimes would make that like cute back heel or like clever one-touch pass, but a lot of it was just was more more deliberative. More he takes the ball, he surveys the pitch, and he makes the pass and like
2: moves the play forward. Just, and Don well, Williams, LaSelso, I think does. Does a little bit of that. Lucello was much more that type of midfielder,
1: right? And then Dombley is just like he just turns, like he'll have a guy in his back, and then all of a sudden the ball will be at Sun's feet thirty yards forward. Like it's just so quick, and it helps. It feels our, very
0: uh, instinctive.
1: Yeah, and like you know when we're playing this like kind of quick transition attack, having a guy who can turn a ball from something that looks like about to be a turnover into a dangerous scoring opportunity is. Is invaluable.
2: I'll tell you the thing, I mean, the sort of Hollywood passes are obviously the most exciting part of his game. But the, the thing that kept occurring to me in that game, because, you know, we're dealing with City's attack, and there was about 20 or 30 minutes where City was really pouring it on. But, you know, we'd pass it out of defense, and it would go to him. And, you know, over the years, we've had the ball go into Winks, Sissoko... You know, all these sort of clowns. And I just remember thinking, like, it's so comforting because it's like he might turn it over, but he's not going to lose possession, like receiving the ball like some other guys we have would. Like, you know, he either takes it and runs and resists the press or he gets it out of there very quickly, whether it's back into the defense or up the pitch for an attack. But he just doesn't get caught out in the way that some of the other midfielders on our team that we've been accustomed to watching get caught out. And it's just. I don't. Know, it's. I'm so happy that he is, you know. I probably didn't deserve to be in the doghouse, but however we got here, it, that he's out of it. I'm very happy with.
1: Yeah, I mean, the only thing left to say is, boy, you can't wait until he and Los Also get on the pitch and I, together. And I know we say this every week. You know, it is very nice to be able to take off and at like the 65th minute and bring on the fresh legs of Los Celso, who's going to do. 80% of what Indomblé does, and then another 20% of different things that are also really good. Like, it does mean that, like, we can go a full 90 minutes uh, at, like, top gear, even if that gear is slightly different than the gear we've been playing at before. Um, but, like, God, like, because they don't overlap completely, like, there's just.
2: Yeah. It's just. Imagine. Imagine. Like, we are never going
1: to get it, and I'm just going to dream about it forever. And
2: like, <laughs> well, I we talked earlier. I mean, we've talked in previous weeks. We talked earlier tonight about like Spurs finding a way to sort of impose themselves on lesser teams and maintaining possession. And I, that's I think that's Loselso, or at least I think Loselso is a big part of that. Like I think he's a guy who can actually help Spurs do that. And I think the fact that he's missed so much of the year has been one of the reasons that we've been a little shaky in doing that.
0: Yeah, and I mean, we've talked before on the show about how very little Sissoko offers in that type of game. You know, Sissoko in this match I thought was fine. And, you know, this is a match that kind of suits him where he has to do, you know, some defensive covering, you know, his, you know, his movement, his energy is, is you know, vital for covering all over the pitch. And so, like, this performance was fine from him. I don't have, like, a lot of issues with the way he played. Um, but, you know, like like Ben pointed out, like, what do we do against a Burnley? Like having Sissoko out there against Burnley is less necessary, less interesting, and ultimately doesn't help us get, you know, control of the game, doesn't help us impose ourselves, doesn't help us, you know, win comfortably in those matches. And so, you know, you, I think when we see loselso Celso and Ndombele, it'll be situational and it'll be in one of those matches like that. It'll be a match against a West Brom, against a Burnley, some match where we know they're going to be bunkered and we need to impose ourselves on the game.
1: Yeah, and my hope is, like, once we see enough of that, Jose kind of realizes, like, oh, we can play this same way against a good team and use these guys to do a job against a Man City, against a Liverpool, whoever. But even if he doesn't, as long as Sissoko becomes, like, a situational binky, you know, to cover for Aurier's right-back deficiencies or whatever in big games and then Los Lo is the guy we see against like the shitty teams and like we get that for a season. I'll be I'll be happy. You know, I'd be really happy if like we get to that level where like we can get both of them on the pitch and we can control the game in our image the way we want to without losing defensive solidity and having that added thrust of Los Celso passing alongside Ndombele. Like that would be the vision of this team that I think you know we all kind of dream on, but as long as we can kind of get halfway there, I think, I think we'd all be pretty
2: happy with that, right? You, you know how you can control a game; yeah. you can bring on LaCelso and have him score within thirty seconds and completely <laughs> destroy City's yeah. ability to win. That was a uh, like uh, that's kind of I don't think LaCelso had as impressive a performance as Ndombele did, but. You know, the guy comes on, makes a great run, has a great finish. You know, it's, it shows what, I think it shows a sort of Los Celso's biggest attribute, which is his sort of versatility into attack. Uh, you know, he could just do so much going forward and, and, you know, instantly made an impact on that game. It was really a very good goal. Um, almost like sort of a long pass into the net. It was, oh, it's, it's just, it's, it's so nice having these midfielders on the team.
1: So speaking of midfielders, I think there's one guy we probably need to talk about, and we maybe haven't talked about enough this season, and that is Pierre-Emile Hojbjerg. Uh, you know, I think he came in and we were all kind of like, you know, he's a functional guy who will fill a necessary hole and do that well, and that's enough to to level us up a bit. Um, but I think, especially in this game and, and in recent weeks, I think we've seen that, Hoyerberg has been more than that. He has, I think, fit into
2: this team better than anybody would have expected. Um, Speaking for yourself, I was very excited about Hoyerberg. Like, you know, now this is kind of what I was hoping for, which rarely ever happens. Which is, you know, we've talked about this. It's almost at the point of parody. It's like, is he going to step his game up? You know, when he's surrounded by better players, and I think the answer is clearly he did. You know, he is able to play at a higher level with all these different guys around him, being asked to do different things.
1: No, I mean, yeah, I, I, I guess I was excited about him in that he is a defensive midfielder, and what I hated <laughs> that to not have a Winksuzuka midfield. But I, yeah, I mean, I feel like it's been more than just a you know league average defensive midfielder. Oh no, in. it's
2: it's much better than that.
0: Well, like, I think like we did the we did that podcast with the Extra Inch guys before the season, and I think kind of across the board, we were all a little more excited about. The signing of Matt Doherty than we were about Hoyberg, and you know I was I don't never want to excited. Say that about we were all wrong, 100%. but we were all wrong.
1: So I just I, want to say I was never excited about Matt Doherty. I,
2: I think the thing about Hoyberg that is so you good. Probably go back to the podcast and find that
0: I was very <laughs> excited about him. But yeah, I was I'm not... going to go back to listen now, and you're going to be like, "Well, you know, look, Orier's is horrible." Darty like, can score goals and doesn't do defensive dumb things. Yep,
1: yep, no, probably yeah, we're going to go find – no Ben's
0: going to be spending <laughs> 20 minutes talking about some tweet Darty had from,
2: like, eight years ago making fun of the West Wing, so he was convinced that he would always be a great midfielder for Spurs. Uh, but if you look at Hoyberg, I think the thing that makes him – he's not just a – I mean, obviously not just a defensive midfielder, but I think something that we could see in his numbers, if you looked at his, like, heat maps when he was at Southampton, that has carried over here has just been, I guess, way more effective for Spurs. He's probably doing other things, too. But, like, that guy covers ground. I mean, he is all over the place. I mean, he is just all over the pitch, and it makes such a difference because he's able to do this covering work, and he's just able to, like, you know, you don't think of – you watch him play, you don't think of him as fast. You know, you don't think of him as particularly speedy, but he's just all over the pitch, and it's really – it's really helped the team up.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because you talk about like a player like Soko, where you highlight you know his athleticism, his engine, and his ability to cover all over the pitch, and the, the exact same thing is true of Hoybjerg, except and, <laughs> he can play yeah, well. Except, you know, the the actual you know the the end result is is usually much better. Um, but you know, like like you said, he is. He is back in the box, breaking up play. He is getting out to the wings to cover the fullback. And then also he is pushing forward and getting, you know, arriving late in the box for chances. You know, there was, you know, he, he, he's involved in the counterattack. Like he, he's not just, uh, you know, uh, uh, Busquets who, you know, breaks up play and then either makes a long pass or plays it off to the playmakers. Like he's, He's getting forward. He's a dynamic player, and I I don't know that I appreciated yeah. that part about his game.
2: His progressive play has been the big surprise to me. Like he, he's much better, sort of moving forward, moving the ball forward, than I was ex- expecting.
1: Yeah, I think part of it is like at Southampton, he just had to do so much, and that meant he just was doing a lot of things not really optimal. You know, it was like he was having to be the guy who played all of those Ndombele passes for the team that he's not actually great at. Um, You know, he had to be the guy doing all of the defensive covering in midfield. He was just asked to do a lot. And I think as a result, you know, was only, like, pretty good. And above average, maybe, at those things. But I think giving him, like, kind of a limited role that he's been given allows him to do the things that he's asked to do primarily really he does a really really good job at that and then everything else he does is kind of a bonus like when he has when he does make a a good incisive progressive pass it's it's a deliberate oh i see an opportunity i'm going to make this pass not i'm the guy who has to make these passes for my team so i'm going to force it a little bit and i think he has that kind of mental wherewithal to see i have an opportunity i'm going to do it rather than and if I don't I'm going to make that that safe pass or if I see an opportunity to break forward and like contribute to the final third I'm going to I'm going to take that you know and having the players around him and the role that he has as just I I think just brought out so much more of of his game that was I think kind of hidden by him having to do more than he
0: he really should be asked to do Right uh, and I mean look he's just he he's been vital we've talked about it before like he gives us that platform that Jose needs to build the rest of the midfield like he his ability to play in midfield is the reason why you know and is freed up to do more stuff as a, as like a number 10 he's the reason why you know we can carry a player like Amusa Sissoko in our starting 11 and not have it break the rest of the team like like he gives us such solidity um and that part is just invaluable to this team this year
1: Yeah, I mean I think you know Kane and Son have been very much the story of the season because they've been just so good going forward and like I, I don't want to diminish that at all
2: but to me Hoybjerg is
1: is the player of the season he's, he's, the, the, he's the guy, the guy been, that holds it all together
2: he's the guy we've been crying out for for you know however many years now we've since the really fell apart, you know, we've needed someone who can do some of those things in midfield. I mean, they're they're very different players, but someone who creates that sort of sturdy foundation in our midfield. And we've been missing that for so long. And we finally found it. Too late for, you know, Mauricio, unfortunately, but we finally got there.
1: Yeah. I and I and, I, and I'm so so glad, I guess, to see us make a signing that surprises me honestly like i i have been very kind of sour about our recruitment and and seeing like some of the signings that we we've made in recent years you know Vinicius has done way less but is a signing i'm way more excited about in terms of like how young he is what he's done whatever you know Doherty and Hart, on the other end, are guys from, like, these are really old guys who were never that good in recent years. I mean, Hart was good once upon a time. Um, I don't think they really fit. And Hoybier was this weird question mark. It's like he's like, 25, 26 years old. He's been okay at Southampton. He was, like, hot shit you know, at
2: Bayern when, in his youth, like, and then they yeah, let him go. Years
1: ago. Right. It's, like, so, I, I'm very excited to have been proven wrong about a guy like this. More than i like, Bergvain is a guy that I was like super excited about. He profiled super super well statistically. He had a really good seasons in in Air Divizia. Like, you know, he's an exciting attacking player, and that hasn't necessarily been great. Hoiberg is a guy that I'm I'm happy to be wrong about. I'm well, it's, and I, I wish we be wrong more. We, honestly. We've we've talked when about this on the like
2: this. podcast before that you know, Hoiberg's the kind of guy, he feels like an early 2010 signing for Spurs, where we took a guy who had, like, really done well, sort of a team below our level in the England, and we pick him up, and he's sort of elevating his game with us. I mean, it feels like, it feels a lot like the Scott Parker signing. to be honest. I mean, I know Parker had much more of a pedigree when we signed him, but it feels a lot like that, like, okay, you've done it at West Ham, now let's see what you can do on a real team. And it only lasted for, like, a year or two, so hopefully... You know, obviously Parker was much older. Hopefully this will last a lot longer than that. But it's the kind of thing that we used to do, and it's it's admittedly harder to do because of our profile. It's harder to sort of take chances on these guys or give them the opportunity to grow into the team because now Spurs are a team that's making Champions League finals and theoretically challenging for the league and all this other stuff. But it feels like the kind of thing we used to do, and it's exciting. It's it's very fun to watch. I want to talk about, um, Ben, you mentioned uh, Steve, Big Steve Bergvine, and I want to talk about his performance because I don't think uh, Bergvine's had a very good season, and I was very surprised to see him in the lineup, even if I could understand the logic. But I thought he had a really nice match. I think there's obviously room for improvement, but I thought he did. I thought he integrated very well into our counterattacks for a guy who has not seen a lot of minutes in sort of 18 matches this year, and, you know, big matches in the Premier League. He has not played a lot there this year. When he has played in the Europa League and cup matches, he hasn't looked great. But I thought he looked dangerous. I thought he was. I thought he did a really good job of keeping City's defenders honest. Like He was constantly a threat and a pest running around. He was probably a little unlucky not to get a goal or two in this match. Or a goal, let's not get carried away. But I thought he had a really nice match, and I think it's hopefully a nice foundation for him to build on because I was starting to get a little worried about him
0: and his place in the squad. Well, I think, you know, obviously he's very talented. And like Ben said, he profiled as somebody who had you know, did the type of things that Spurs were looking for in that other attacking midfield slot. And, you know, goal against Manchester City and his debut aside, we haven't really seen a lot of that type of stuff. You know, it, it's, it's been performances like this where you're like, oh, look, you know, he is, he, he is an outlet in the counter. He is carrying the ball forward. He is getting into dangerous positions. And then, you know, e- even in this match we saw, you know, him not getting a shot away on a, on an opportunity in the box or, you know, him, you know, holding it just a second too long before, you know, making a dangerous pass. And, you know, I I don't know, maybe, maybe some of that is match fitness. Maybe some of that is still not having, you know, the sharpness or the familiarity with your teammates. Maybe some of it's pressing and trying to do too much. I don't know. But, like, I think... It's not all there you're right and, and but this match was encouraging because I think out of the guys that we have for that third attacking midfield slot if it's not good Gareth Bale then the next best option is Steven Bergfe because um, you know Gareth snail and um, and Lucas Mora yes! are, <laughs> are not gonna get it done and and so so I think Steve needs to take advantage of all these opportunities that he's getting in these matches and he needs to put together a good run because I, I don't think Jose Mourinho is opposed to playing him in these big matches. Um, And I don't think Jose Mourinho is opposed to making him an integral part of the, of the first team. And so, you know, I'd like to see him take these games a little bit more by the scruff of the neck. I think he certainly has the ability to do that. We saw him do that, um, you know, at PSV. So I, I'm just waiting for it to come together with him. So. I think
2: you mentioned Lucas Mora, and I think like this is the kind of shit we expect to see out, of, or we want to see out of Lucas Moura. A game like this, where it's like you're making a nuisance of yourself, you're assisting an attack, you're keeping, like I said, you're keeping their defenders honest and pinned back. And you know, Lucas, we all wouldn't bitch about Lucas all the time if he was able to play like this a little more often. I mean, I know that occasionally Mourinho finds another way to use Lucas, but this was. I I mean I don't know. I, I wanna see more of Steve now because I was impressed by this performance as opposed to, you know I I o I can't remember the last sort of good game he had before this. So it is something to build on, I think.
1: I mean I will be honest, I think if Lucas Mora had this had played this match and played the exact same game that Bergbein did, I would have been salty about Lucas Mora. Yeah, well that's just um, because you hate Lucas but, Mora. No, no, no. I mean, yes. Yes, but I think the context is also very important here. Like, Bergvine got sent home from the Netherlands international squad just last week for fitness or injury or whatever. Um, and so, like, you know, the, A, that context is, okay, maybe he's not at full fitness. It, and in, in light of that, it was surprising that he even got the start. Um, but also in light of Jose's obvious fondness for Lucas Mora it was kind of a surprise that he didn't start over Bergfein. Um And because we've seen so little from him, this performance felt like a step in the right direction. Where Had we seen Lucas do this, I think it would have felt like it's just more of the same bullshit. It's like, yeah, he's nearly good. He's not quite good. We've seen him do this a thousand times. But for Bergvine it felt like, okay, this is a guy who's struggled a little bit, and he is... You know he was marginally away from setting up a phenomenal a phenomenal goal for Harry Kane that was rolled offside, um, and almost pulling one of his own had it not been for a last minute block from I don't know if
2: it was Walker or Diaz or yeah whoever that was anybody
1: know. on City who who stuck their foot in
2: between him and admittedly the shot. like I said earlier very good defensive move it
1: really was a very good defensive play to not give away a penalty there and and block block that, that shot. Um but yeah I I I was very encouraged that Bergvine showed out like this. Again, he I think he was the worst player on the pitch and I don't mean that as a criticism and I th- think that's a pretty good place to be honestly with this squad to say you were the worst person on the pitch and this is a really 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 positive development.
0: Wait, um, so you you feel like Musa Sissoko was better than Bergvine? You personally feel? Uh,
1: yes. Not in that Musa Suzuko is particularly good, but Musa Suzuko had a very limited role and executed it pretty well. You know, he wasn't asked to do a lot of ball progression. He defended pretty okay in that right back zone. He moved the ball decently to people who needed to. Like, Bergvine needed to be a little bit more of an outlet for us than he actually was. Again, we only got four shots out of all of those moves that we developed and looked very exciting. And I think he was a reason in a lot of respects why those moves kind of fell apart. Um so yeah, a better a better person in that role I think makes a bigger difference than a better person in Suzoko's role. But objectively I think Birk is better at football
0: than Musa Suzoko. <laughs> I wondered <laughs> how you were gonna spin it into say that Musa Suzoko wasn't good at football.
1: Yeah. I'm not <laughs> I'm not trying to be pro Musa Suzoko here. But he had a fight.
2: <laughs> So, this was a fun as shit match, and at the end of it, Tottenham Hotspur are first in the league. If uh, we stopped the count right now, we would win the title. It is is not the end of the season. We are not even close to it. But Tottenham Hotspur are are in the driver's seat of the Premier League right now. Do you, Brian, I'll start with you on this, how sustainable is that? Are Tottenham title contenders?
0: Um... Yeah, I mean, we're a quarter of the way or a little less than a quarter of the way into the season and we're in first place. And so, yeah, I think we're definitely contenders um, in terms of sustainability. Honestly, it really kind of I think it really, really depends on how long we're going to be without Toby Um, You know, he sustained an injury in this match to Manchester City. We haven't gotten any news about how bad it is or how long he'll be out. Mourinho said he thought it was bad. Um, you know, we've talked about what a difference Aldeverell makes to the defense and, you know, our options are um, you know, Davinson Sanchez or, you know, Joe Rodon or um uh, Jeff Atanganga. None of those are, you know, e- each of them have their merits, but none of those guys are Toby Aldeverell. So, you know, especially right now with the next run of fixtures that we've got, you know, with Chelsea um, You know, with the matches against Leicester coming up, you know, we we are playing... You've got some tricky mid-table direct...
2: fixtures, like
0: uh, we play Arsenal in a few weeks. Yeah, yeah, we do play some mid-table teams that might cause problems. Uh, but, you know, you know like, uh, this run right now where we are playing, you know, our direct rivals for, you know, Champions League places for the top four uh, for, for for the title. Um, and to not have Aldo Varel for this run is... Is going to be hard and, and it's different where if you're missing him for matches against you know West Brom Burnley West Ham um, but you know we've got Chelsea uh, Liverpool Leicester you know all in the the next what five or six league games and and to not be without your best defender for those is is, is less than ideal but all that being said I, I think we're in this and, you know, we have every opportunity in the next few games to make this kind of our own, you know, a win against Chelsea, a win against Liverpool. Um, you know, we can start putting ourselves, you know, putting space between us and those teams. And, and I, you know, that was what Lester did that season that, that, that they won the title is they put enough distance between themselves and the chasing pack early on. And, and, you know, Spurs never could quite close the gap to, you know, less than, what, seven points or six points. And I think that's kind of, if if Spurs are going to win the league, I don't feel like it's going to be one of those dogfight come down to the last day of the season type things. Like, we need to have it wrapped up by, you know, match day 35 or 34. Well, I I just,
1: (laughs) well, that's never going to (laughs) happen.
0: And so we will never win the league. (laughs) I
2: I think so much of it, to me depends on Liverpool, which I mean what was I found really concerning this past weekend was they had a heavily injured team that beat the shit out of admittedly another heavily injured team in Leicester. I like part of the reason it's title race right now is Liverpool doesn't look like they're gonna be on that historic let's let's get a hundred points. You know, Liverpool and City just aren't on that kind of pace this year. Now it looks like we've put sort of enough breathing room between us and City there where it'll be hard for them to catch up, but you know, it's just I know Liverpool didn't play well at the end of last season, which, you know, that could be the restart. That could be, you know, just them complacent. That could be a lot of things. It could be them actually having problems. But, you know, they've had a lot of hiccups early this season, and I think that's going to need to continue to some extent because they they have just been such a dominant team over the last few years. You know, I just worry about our ability to sort of get into a shootout with them uh, you know, down the line, and you know, I, I think it will be tight if we end up winning the league. Um, but I would say this: if it's not going to be Liverpool, if it's not going, if Liverpool and City aren't going to run away with the league, I think there is, you know, maybe more so than Chelsea. I think where Spurs are very well suited to take advantage of that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not a case where we're like the obvious title favorites that we're so good that like no one's going to touch us. It's a question of. How bad is everybody else, and how much can we maintain this level? We've kind of been a
2: little lucky to to get to so far. Uh, You say that. If we were truly lucky, we'd be like six points clear of Liverpool right now. I know.
1: absolutely, Absolutely right. I mean, we are a worldie from Lanzini against West Ham and a calamitous handball goal against Newcastle away from being, I think, four points clear at the top of the table. Uh, and we 're not so yeah, we haven 't been as lucky as maybe Liverpool were last year when they won their the very fortunate premier League title um, but we're still we 've still been like a little lucky, like as good as we were against man City, you know they did have a goal rolled out by v a r who is our our best friend against man City you know it the game could have gone another direction um so yeah, I, I think it's, it all comes down to how fragile are the other teams. And Liverpool doing well while desperately injured is not a great sign for us. Um, I'd like to see them not put three past one of the other better teams in the league um, just by missing some of their best players. Um, after Mohamed Salah like coughed COVID particles into his friend's face in a, at, a, at a wedding... <laughs> A week ago, but...
2: Liverpool Football Club is the I only think... place where herd immunity is actually going to work
0: out.
1: <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I... like, we're in it. We're definitely in it.
0: I, I, and we're yeah. We're a form team right now. Like, we, we've we won, what, is it four? It's four straight um, Premier League matches. No one else has won, you know, four straight, you know, at this juncture right now. Like, and and, you know, I... I I always talk about, you know, building momentum. Like, you know, win games that you should win and then have that momentum coming into, um, you know, the, your match, your more difficult matches. And that's really what we did. We had this run of four league games where we took nine points out of a possible 12, or, excuse me, we took 10 points out of a possible 12, and then we came into uh, the City match, you know, pretty healthy. Um, and, you know... We need to take advantage of it. We need to keep rolling. I mean, you know, against Chelsea, you, they, they've they had some bobbles here and there. And, you know, they maybe they haven't yet got Werner and those other guys, you know, clicking together. Take advantage of that. We've already beat them once this year. Let's do it again.
1: Yeah, if we roll into Christmas top of the table, like, I'm going to be insufferable. Uh, <laughs> you know, like... More I insufferable. Mean, this is more, I mean, yes, fine. Fine, Brian. But, I mean, like, this is the test right now. Like you said, like, we have kind of a bit of a gauntlet coming up in terms of our fixtures. And if we can weather that storm still looking like title contenders or, God forbid, title favorites, then, yeah. I mean, I think that's that's half the job done right there, is is getting through these tough matches, still racking up points. And if nobody else has rolled up enough points to make us look, you know, like silly pretenders, then then, yeah,
2: shit's on. You know, and we talk about Mourinho a lot and the sort of his aura and all the sort of bullshit he spouts, but, like, again, I, I, and honestly, like, can we find a way to play better against packed teams? Can we keep having an effective counterattack against the good teams? Those are going to be the important sort of coaching shit that Mourinho needs to do, but a lot of titles are won and lost on the margins, and I think think it's probably, if you watch any of the I think it's probably important that he's won a bunch of titles in a bunch of title races in a bunch of different countries and, you know, if you watched a lot of the post-game interviews after the City game, you heard Harry Kane, you heard Son, you heard a couple other guys talking about you know, oh, the manager's been here before he understands it, like, I don't think that's without merit or value, like, I think there's, especially if it does get close later in the season like, not now, but like you know, if it's like february march and we're actually in a title race i think there is some value to that like knowing what buttons to push with the players knowing how to sort of marshal his resources because i think that was something and again i think we kind of fell backwards into a title race in 2016 but i think that is something we struggled with we didn't know how to handle ourselves at um stanford bridge you know that was a problem of we didn't have a manager and we didn't have players who had been there before and you know maybe that's something we're having a guy i mean all the other people in this title race have been there too, at least as players, if not managers. So, you know, I don't know if that's going to work out in our favor, but if we're going to have Mourinho, this is one of the reasons you have him.
0: Yeah, I mean, that level of experience, it's, it's not nothing. You know? Yeah. I, it's, so, you know, and I don't know what it is. I don't know if, like you say, it's, it's, it's pushing the right buttons, it's managing resources, it's just like, you know, getting players to you know, think about the right things or think about things in the right way. I don't know what it is, but, like, it it has to mean a little bit of something. And that's not to say that people that have never won things can't win things, yeah. you know, or, or that Pochettino couldn't have won something or whatever. It, what, but, you know, the level of experience that Mourinho brings at the top and, you know, to the, the number of trophies, like, it, it does mean something and clearly it means something to the players. Like whether or not it means something to us as fans is, is something entirely different. But the players consistently identify, you know, he has a winning mentality, he knows what he's been there before, he knows what it takes, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, if he's already influencing those guys to to be able to say those sorts of things now in November, then then hopefully, you know, we're still pushing those buttons and doing those right things in May and June.
2: See, a rookie manager wouldn't buy his players ham and cut it for them in the, <laughs> the locker room, but Mourinho knows, so.
1: He knows that everybody loves ham. Yeah. But I mean, like, you know, you look at Claudio Ranieri's Lester, and it's like, that's a guy who was laughed at at Chelsea, and he won the league. You're absolutely right. Uh, you know, but I do think. In this situation especially, it's it's value, like you said, value on the margins. Where it's not going to be the difference, like his winning mentality, whatever that yeah, yeah, fucking yeah. means. It's not going to be the difference between us being a title winner and finishing like sixth. It's going to be the thing that like maybe gets us that extra point or extra two points in a, in a game that is looking like a draw late in the season because Jose has convinced this team that he is a fucking magic magician who wins titles, and they believe that, and they're going to go out and win that game that they might not otherwise win. Like, that's kind of where that value really comes in. And in this season in particular really looks like it's shaping up to be a very close title finish. I I mean, maybe we just fall apart in the next few weeks and Liverpool runs away with it. Like, that's the other scenario. But if it doesn't, if we're actually still having this conversation in April and May, you know, that's the world we're probably living in. And that's the world where a Jose Mourinho's experience winning titles is really going to come into play.
2: Well, I think one really interesting thing, and this is all sort of supposition, but it is sort of widely, at least amongst the tactics people I read, it's sort of widely sort of supposed that a lot of what Spurs are doing this year are dealing with a fixture list by playing in a certain style that sort of saves legs. Now, maybe that's reading too much into things, but I would think it's very funny if Jose Mourinho, who all of us, including everyone on this podcast, thought had lost a step in recent years, is the one major coach who sort of gamed out how to deal with this sort of bizarre COVID season because... I think a big problem that I think we saw it this week. I think a bit because I think City absolutely ran out of gas in like the 60th minute. A big problem that there's like a lot of bigger teams have had, not Bayern Munich, but a lot of other big teams, is they're not as sharp because they haven't had as much time to train, and they're not as fit because they haven't had as much time to train. And Mourinho seems to have solved that problem in a way that a lot of other big teams haven't. I
1: mean, I will less charitably say I don't think that Jose Mourinho solved the problem well, so much as the way Jose Mourinho always plays is very well suited to the problem at hand. But, Perhaps, but. Great. I, yeah. It would just be funny. <laughs> In a know.
0: way, you could argue that that is solving the problem.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm not, I guess what I'm saying is I don't think Jose Mourinho looked at COVID and was like, aha, I'm going to stroke my no, long I, white but wizard. I think he might have looked at this and come up list. with a genius plan. And said, instead, I think it's more like, The thing I'm doing, which is sit deep and counter, saves a lot of legs, allows me to play. You know, we have a big squad. and allows us to kind of just keep trucking along in a way that is very well
2: suited. I think there's a a reasonable possibility he looked at his fixture list and made a decision to play in a certain way. But you're right, that it suits his style. It doesn't hurt. So, still, I think it's interesting that Pep, the guys like Pep, I mean, Pep was already having problems, but... A lot of these other teams, I would say Liverpool so far have looked like one of those teams, have just not been able to sort of figure out how to adapt to this sort of crowded fixture list.
1: No, and I think there's a reason that Liverpool players are breaking down to the degree that they are. And it's not just ill luck, necessarily. Margaret
2: Thatcher. It's Margaret Thatcher. That's why they're
1: breaking it's down. It's Margaret Thatcher's vendetta against Liverpool's working class, um, which for the first time in my life I'm I'm thrilled about. <laughs> Go Maggie. No, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, yes, it's possible. Like Liverpool had very, very good injury luck last year, and they've had very bad injury luck this year. Um, and it could just be like, you know, luck regressing to the mean in terms of of injuries. But it could also be like, yeah, the way Liverpool play has asked a lot of certain people, and given the fixture list and, and the compressed schedule, it's bitten them in the ass in a way that it hasn't for us. And that's, that's better. That's I nice. Like that. Yeah, I'll take I like it. like that narrative.
2: Whether, whether, it's, whether it's deliberate or a coincidence, I'll take it either way.
1: But the gods of luck are just striking down in Liverpool players out of spite. I'm also very I, I'm
2: pretty sure. I'm pretty sure um, Mo Salah got struck down by something else. But... <laughs> Uh, yeah, so let's move on. We play Chelsea this weekend. Uh, we we have a Europa League game against Ludogorets, but I don't really have anything intelligent to say about that. So um, unless you guys have a burning desire, okay, I'm, I'm getting a lot of head shakes over here. So we'll move on. What do you guys think about the Chelsea match? I think the sort of our first Chelsea match this year was a real sign of progress in that it was it was the first game this year where it felt like we really had a plan and we were smart and it worked out. It was also a League Cup match, and I don't know how much those Chelsea players gave a shit. Uh, That's a really good Chelsea squad. I always have doubts about Frank Lampard. He seems to weirdly alienate players and make odd squad decisions, but, you know, they've played pretty well on balance over the last two years. Whatever Whatever, however good a manager Lampard actually is, he's certainly better than I thought he would be.
0: Yeah, he's okay.
2: Okay. Did you want? Did you want go more? In- no. A, a, well, how, do think, how do you think? How or... do you think we're going to approach this game, Brian? How How do you think this game is going to go?
0: Well, I mean, uh, one of the things that I think is interesting is is that Chelsea match early in the season. We we played the a back three in that match, and it was really the first time we saw uh, Regulon and Aurier together on the pitch. And, and I think at that time, Mourinho thought he needed the back three to do it, and so I you know, that seemed to be a good way to deal with Chelsea in that particular match where both teams were playing a little bit of a rotated side. I think we were probably rotated more so than them. I mean, where we didn't start Sun or Kane. Um, and we had, you know, Gedson in the, in the midfield. So, you know, I, I liked the back three against Chelsea last time. And, you know, but without Alderweireld now to play in the center of it, how do you approach that? Um, I, I think that's the interesting problem that Mourinho has to decide on before this match is, is you know, Davinson probably plays against Ludogorets because Rodon is not registered for the Europa League. But do you run Davinson back out there in the Premier League? Do you go with Tanganga, who may be healthy? Do you go with Rodon, who is now played what 30 minutes of Premier League football. Like I, I think that's the interesting decision that, that that Mourinho has to figure out. Um and and I, I don't know, maybe the three at the back covers for that a little bit
1: I first of all I forgot Jetson existed. Uh <laughs> that's wild. So did everyone at Spurs. <laughs> um Yeah, I mean, looking at the the lineups for those games, we were definitely a more heavily rotated side in that we played a front two of Berg, Vine, and Lamella. We played Jensen Fernandez. We played a back three. Tanganga played. Um, Chelsea basically their team with Giroud and and Hudson-Odoi kind of in there. Um, I I don't know. I, I think... Chelsea have been very good lately, and I think some of that, honestly, is due to a fortunate injury crisis where Havertz got COVID and Pulisic has been hurt, um, and he finally realized Jorginho's terrible, which is not an injury-related, but it has been a a fortunate coincidence for Chelsea. Um, And I think as those guys come back and he has a little bit of selection headache, I'm less convinced that he has a good idea of what his best team is with all of these, like, exciting attackers at his disposal actually are. Um, So, A, I'm not sure what Chelsea's going to do for this match. Um, You know, probably they should just roll out what's been winning for them the last couple games. Um, But I don't know. If, If Kai Havertz is suddenly, like, healthy from COVID, how do you not put him in your team, you know? Um, and that'd be disruptive in a way that maybe is beneficial for us. Um, but I think, I think if we kind of approach this the exact same way we approach the Man City game and not let them, you know, have the ball in space against us and force them to break us down I don't know that they're equipped to do that. Um, you know, Ziesh is, right now is is the guy who is their, their creative string puller. Um, and, you know, he's played a handful of Premier League games. I'm not sure he is necessarily the guy in set possession against a defensive block to unlock us. Um, I, I, I'm just not really convinced really, by what, what Chelsea's doing. Like, Tammy Abraham and Timo Werner have been very good as a strike pairing together, but I don't think they're any better than what we just saw um, from Man City. Um, and I think Chelsea's defense is significantly worse. Like, even though they've upgraded their goalkeeper and they have kept more clean sheets than they have under under Kepa, um, I don't think they're better equipped to stop that counterattack of Cannon's of son.
2: I mean my big worry is Toby's out. I mean that's my my big worry coming into this. Probably, we think. <laughs>
1: I honestly
2: like I don't
1: know shit about Joe Rodon. Honestly, I, I know very little about this man. But the my biggest concern about Toby being out, honestly, is the passing he brings to our attack and not the defensive solidity he offers. Um, And that may prove to be very stupid, and I may be saying something very different a week from now. Um, But I've seen us be good defensively with and Sanchez and Eric Dyer. Like, I've seen that happen this season. I think Sanchez is obviously worse uh, than Toby, but I, I think that's not really where we're going to lose out uh, as much as we're going to lose out in the ability to transition quickly from defense to attack. And that's what Toby gives us. And given the way that we play and how much we depend on those quick transitions, I think that's going to be kind of the question mark for me, is can we still execute the fast counterattacks to the same degree without Toby's passing?
0: I really think this would be a good match for us to uh, in midfield to use Lo Celso and Ndombele I mean I think we all agree that all matches would be good matches to do that in um but if we're gonna if we're gonna for Jose experiment quote unquote with doing that this is a good match because I think you know Chelsea kind of carry some dead weight in midfield too where they play Mason Mount consistently and I don't think very much, very highly of Mason Mount. I mean, you know, I think they have a bunch of other players that they could be playing in midfield that would do a better job than him. Um, but th- for whatever reason, Lampard likes Mason Mount, maybe because he thinks Mason Mount is the next Frank Lampard. I don't know.
1: I mean, Mount is good at pressing, and he's good at getting shots away. Like, those are valuable attributes for a guy to have. But is that a guy who's going to help them lock down midfield against whatever we throw at? There, I'm no, I agree with you. That's that's not what he does. And is that yeah. extra body going to be enough of a, a difference maker in the attack to compensate for that? I, I hope not.
0: Yeah, I mean, I really he's think not a midfield. You know, yeah, if we're throwing out, you know, our Sissoko midfield with, you know, Hoiberg, Sissoko and Dombele. You know, I'm, I'm sure that that midfield is still better than, you know, the Chelsea midfield. But I think if we really wanted to go out there and really take it to Chelsea, I think you'd run Lo Celso, Horvier, and Dombele and just comfortably have the best three men in the middle of the park. And, and...
1: I think you're right, especially because they don't have like. He's probably not fit to start. You know, so you're not going to have, like, very vulnerable fullback situations where, you know, they're going to be putting Ori under a lot of pressure down that flank because, I mean, Tino, Timo Werner is going to probably play out wide, and he basically wants to be a striker. Like, he's going to come in wide and, 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 and try and get in the box and try and try and score. He's not a guy who's going to try and, like, break down Ori on the wing and, like, put in clever passes and, and cross the ball. So we don't need that Suzoko handcuff that we're so used to using to protect us down that side. It's really, I think you're right, an opportunity to exploit their weaker midfield and, like, impose our game
0: on Chelsea. Do we think we'll do it, Brian? Do you think he's going to start No, No. I have No, I have no faith that that'll happen. I, and I think especially if you are coming into this match where you're unsure about your central defensive partnership, that it make it would make sense in Jose's mind to play a, someone who he views as a more defensive-oriented midfielder.
1: Yeah, it seems like a, he'll be more conservative knowing how, how fragile he might be because of Toby, which I think is a mistake. But I think it's not enough of a mistake that means we're going to lose
2: Well, we will find out on Sunday. So uh, let's wrap it up for today. Uh, Ben, where can people find you on the internet?
1: Uh, You can find me on Twitter at ComradeUSpurs.
0: Brian? Uh, You can find me also on Twitter at Brian underscore Ashlock. That is Brian with a Y. You can find me on Twitter
2: at Skipjack0079. Don't forget to follow our new Twitter account for our podcast at WDR Podcast. That says in Wheeler Dealer Radio Podcast. And don't forget to leave a five-star review on iTunes. One of these days, I will remember to do this at the beginning of the show and not the end of it. But for now, uh, this is for all you loyal listeners who made it this far. If you're actually hearing this, I think you're legally obligated to leave us a five-star review. So for Ben, for Brian, for uh, Brett Rainbow, of course, I've been your host, Greg. Come on, you Spurs.